Jama, like pajamas, pajamas, however you say it, Jama. See, like see with your eyes. And then key, like you turn, put, you know, put the key in the door. So Jama, see, key. Then you say it kind of fast and with a little bit of a, a, a Hindi accent. Jamasiki. So let's say it together. One, two, three. Jamasiki. That means praise the Lord. Corey said, hallelujah. We're singing this song, hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Can you say that this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Is that reality for you this morning? There are over one billion people in India. We need to learn how to say, Jamasiki. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because this morning, your, your life is either praising Him, or you're just doing your own thing in your own way. Last week, we had a lot of people set free from a lot of spiritual strongholds in their life. And today, we'll finish Galatians chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, please go ahead and, and flip there. Galatians chapter 6. I mean, do you believe this Jesus thing is real? I mean, he's all that matters in this life. Do you believe there's power in the name of Jesus? 2007, we were in a random city in the Philippines on a random island. And we were supposed to share the gospel at this large government school. And just like here in the States, the more... Um, privileged you are in the government it seems like you can't talk about the Lord so we went into this school and they had a big gate 12 foot tall gate all the way around the school complex and there was a guard that had this very large looking AK-47 and there were seven of us and we said sir you know we've come uh, we have an appointment with a principal and we've come to uh, come to to meet the principal and to spend some time at your school and the guy just looked at us like, you're not getting in here. And so we tried doing everything we could. And this guy was stone cold Steve Austin. I mean, he was not moving at all. He was frozen. And just in a bad mood. I don't know if he had a bad experience with Americans or what. And we sat there for 10, 15, 20 minutes trying to get in. And we thought, well, this was our plan for today. We felt led of the Lord to come. And so as I'm over in the corner... I remember at orientation, they told us, hey, there's power in the name of Jesus. And so I walked up right up to the guard and got right in his face. You could smell his breath. And uh, he held that AK-47 a little tighter and kind of held it up where he made sure I saw it. And I said, sir, we have come in the name of Jesus. And we've come to share the good news with these students. And we need to get in this school. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The guy looked at me and said, okay. And he stepped aside, and we walked in and spent six hours sharing the gospel with many of those students that never heard it before. And most of them could speak English. There's power in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? Whether you believe it or not, there's still power in that name. And God's in the house, and he wants to do work in our life. He wants to speak to us. He wants to encourage us. He don't want you to miss Christmas, friend. He wants you to see the Christmas story in all its glory. He wants you to see 
a little bit of the mystery of Christmas, that God would send His Son in the form of a baby. Isn't that kind of strange that God, the Creator of the cosmos, would, would come to earth? If you really start thinking about it, what will happen if you're a believer, you'll, you'll begin to get fired up about it. Get a little bit excited about it. Because see, because Christ came, because He paid the ultimate sacrifice, because He made you righteous through justification by faith, you're good. It doesn't matter what kind of Christmas tree you have, whether you have Christmas decorations, whether you serve this or serve there, or you participate in this or participate in that, you're good. For all eternity, you're going to a better place, you're going to eat better food, you're going to sing better songs. It's going to be awesome. And I hope that everybody here is going. Galatians chapter 6, Paul, he was concerned because many people in this church, there in these churches in Galatia were being led astray. We've talked about it week after week after week. And this is the last week we're talking uh, about Galatians. And so we're going to start off, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And we're going old school today. We don't have any slides or anything. We don't have any creative stories. We're going verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to go, uh, after we discuss that, we're going to go verses 11 through 18, okay? So let's start in verse 1. If you're there, say, Jamasiki. Didn't that feel good? You go to an Indian restaurant and you say that, man, they're going to serve you all the curry you want, okay? Just try it out. That or they'll poison you. So be careful. Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows. That will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and, to, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, God Almighty, Lord, we pray right now that you would encourage the saints. God, you would speak. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that if there's something that I plan to say, God, you would strike it from my mind. Lord, you would help me forget it. God, you would make me mute and help me not say it. God, if there's something that, that I have not even thought about, Lord, in the moment, I pray, God, that you'd take over and, and, and give me words, Lord, that I don't have for your glory. God, I pray for our church, Lord, that we would be a global-minded, kingdom-shaking, spirit-filled people. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 talks about those walking in the Spirit, those who are 
keeping in step with the Spirit should help those who are not. That word in verse 1, anyone is caught in any transgression. You who are spiritual should restore him. You see that word restore? It's a medical term. The Greek word there is a medical term used to uh, reset a bone. Okay, When a bone is broken, that was the term that they used to t- describe a, a doctor or somebody or an uncle or brother to help reset that bone. And Paul's saying if somebody stumbles, if, if a believer stumbles, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There's a brother or sister that stumbles spiritually. We shouldn't just, you know, as they're walking by, grab their broken bone and just, hey, you know, break it, break it even more and make it unusable. And we're good at that at the church, throwing mud at people and trying to make ourselves feel more spiritual than we ought because somebody else stumbles. But a believer, Paul's saying we need to be gentle. You need to say, hey, you've got a broken bone. This is going to hurt like crazy, but you need to deal with this. But it's in the right spirit. It's in the right attitude. And if we never have tough conversations, then one person stumbles. It's going to be contagious. Notice he, he warns people, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. See, as you're helping reset a broken bone, you can, you can stumble as well. You can fall down into a pit. That's why it's good for us to tell teenagers who you run with, who you hang out with, is going to determine a lot about your life. It's a lot easier for somebody who's down in the pits to pull you down as well. A lot easier for that to happen than you pull them up on the mountaintop. Not saying we should never hang out with broken, lost people. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we should be intentional. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice in verse 5. Look at verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. Are those contradicting? Looks like it, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, there's a, there's a contradiction. Well, actually it's not. The word for burdens in verse 2 is totally different than the, the word uh, for load in verse 5. The, the word in verse 2 is talking about a burden that you can share. You fill in the blank. It's something that uh, people actually can help you with. You know, help reap the crops or help grab some milk on your way home from the grocery store for somebody else. To show up when it counts. But then there's some burdens that nobody else can help you with. That we as individuals are responsible for. Like paying your taxes. Like that's on you. And you'll be held accountable for that. And sometimes we, to avoid our own responsibilities, we spend all our time helping other people. And if we do that, that that's sinful. If we, we spend our every day taking care of everybody else's problems but never deal with our own, then we're not going to be healthy and we're really not going to help that many people in the long run. A lot of pastors are like that. 
A lot of people in ministry are like that because they spend their days taking care of helping a lot of a lot of principals, a lot of attorneys, a lot of doctors. They spend their days helping take care of everybody else's children, and then their own family's falling apart. And so they're doing a lot of good, but at the expense of their own family. And that's simple. That's not what God wants. That's not what God desires. He expects us to take care of our own responsibilities. And if we do that, we'll be a lot healthier to help other people take care, take care of theirs. It takes discipline and intentionality. How many dads and moms today are spending their lives trying to earn a living for their children, for a better life, only to lose their children to the world because mom and dad was never there because they were always working to provide a better life? Verse 3, we need to put this on our walls. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I love that Paul, he just doesn't care. I mean, he's, for one, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, being carried along. And this is God speaking. He's speaking to us this morning through this verse. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Is that not American culture? We're the most arrogant culture in the world. The most prideful people on the planet. If you go to an American school and you see a map of the world on a piece of paper, a lot of times you'll see the United States is right in the middle. But if you look at it from space, it's not necessarily like that. It's whatever side of the globe you're looking at. It's funny, if you go to Asia and you see a map of the world, they've got Asia in the middle. Life does not evolve around America. And if we don't repent as a nation, we will fall. We will fall just like the Roman Empire fell, and we will crumble from within. And you know what? The rest of the world's gonna they're going to keep going. They're going to keep producing cell phones and they're going to keep doing what they're doing and God's still going to get the glory and kingdom's still going to be advancing and where we don't plant churches, other people will plant churches. Where we don't go to the nations, other people will go. There's more missionaries being launched out from South Korea right now and China than the United States. We think the Lord needs us, but He doesn't. He wants us. He desperately, well, he wants, not desperately, God's not desperate for anything, but he, he desires for us to be a part of his work. Verse 6, let one who is taught the word share all good things to the one who teaches. The Lord encourages you through your Sunday school teacher or through somebody in your life, maybe it's a friend or brother, you should encourage the teacher. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows. That will he also reap. Man, what is it talking about? God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. What does it mean when we mock the Lord with our lives? Well, probably that when we spend our days living how we want to, giving how much we want to, and disregarding 
God's commandments, disregarding the fact that the Lord expects His people to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. We spend our time, money, energies on entertainment rather than on God's mission and His church. This morning, if you look at our, I haven't even seen the, the bulletin yet, isn't that funny? A lot of times I don't see it on Sundays. People say, something's in the bulletin. I say, I don't know, I haven't looked at it, I haven't had time. But in the bulletin, you'll notice if you say, look at our giving, okay? And, and there, there's like a giving budget year to date, and then there's a kind of where we're at. A budget is just something that keeps you on track, right? And so, thankfully, our church budget, we've actually spent less than what that budget says. So, it's not as desperate as it looks. But, if you go back four years at this church, First Baptist Church Bay St. Louis, four years in a row, percentage-wise, we're always at the same spot. It's very even the past four years. And, and, and every time, we end up okay right, right after Christmas. We're, we barely make it. We barely meet the budget. And I was thinking about that. The problem, probably, is that we try to meet that budget by our own strength and effort and flesh. Because I'm pretty certain that the Lord God Almighty this morning is a trillionaire. Uh, he owns the bank. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cattle. He owns the potatoes underneath the hills. He owns it all. And I wonder if he doesn't want to open up heaven and pour out his blessings on this church so that we can be the lighthouse in this city, so that we can be a lighthouse in this nation, so we can be a lighthouse to the world. But our problem is we're depending on our own strength and our own efforts. The Lottie Christmas offering, the reason it's separate is because it should be out of an overflow. That's what our offering should be as well. And, and a lot of churches have the Lottie Christmas offering worked into their budget. Because so many people can't differentiate between those two, so they just say, okay, well, we're, we're definitely going to give the Lottie Moon. We're going to work that into the budget. Maybe that's a good way to do it. I don't know. But we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to. It should be out of the overflow. 100% of those funds go to the proclamation of the gospel. And if people don't hear the gospel, then the Bible says they'll be separated from God for all eternity. You tell me something more important than that. But if we're going to invest, we need to invest in people. Go and make disciples of all nations. I was a sophomore in college, I got behind the personal illustration. I apologize. I got behind my freshman year because I struggled with English comp, too. Okay, I think the teacher wanted to kill me, but that's a different story. I, I struggled, okay? I came from the country. We don't speak English well from where I'm from. We had to pipe in sunlight where I grew up. Okay, that, did, that went over some people, somebody's head. And so my freshman year, I got behind. I played intramural sports a little too much and, have, and took minimum hours, 12 hours, both semesters, and I got behind. And so my sophomore year, I find myself having to take 22 hours in one semester. Is that even legal? I had to take 22 hours. And, and I was trying to serve at the BSU, which is the Baptist Union. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. But basically campus ministry, and I was kind of elected to BSU president. I had to do all these things in 22 hours, and I was doing 
that student body government and all these things. And my dad and mom, my dad lost, uh, didn't lose his job, but he, he transitioned. He ran a paper route for 27 years. I know some of you don't care, but hey, I need to tell somebody. And so he got a job selling furniture as a, as a representative of the furniture manufacturers to the stores. But in that transition, it takes a few months to kind of get going. If you're in sales, y'all know what I'm talking about, amen? It takes a few months for, for you to start seeing the bread and milk come through. And so here I was. I had a job at Cracker Barrel my freshman year. And that, man, I, I was set. That was my ministry. Well, because I had to do all this other stuff and ministry and serve the Lord sophomore year in college, I had to give up that job. And so I had no income. And I said, Lord... I don't want to ask mom and dad. And so there were, there were days that, honestly, me and my roommates, we didn't even have food to eat. I know it sounds silly. I mean, I'm, you can only go to McDonald's for 99 cents so many times. And Wendy's used to have the double stack with cheese for 99 cents. That's a deal. I don't think they do that anymore, but that is a deal. But there were nights where there were random people would show up at our house and cook for us on the nights that we really didn't have that much food. And I served at this church as an intern, okay? And I'm not going to tell you the name of it, First Baptist Church, Raymond, Mississippi. And, and I served and did all these things, okay? And I did Teen Kids. Have you heard of Teen Kids? It's a ministry for children. On the Sunday nights, I was the only, I was it. I know it's scary. And there I was taking care of, you know, second graders, third graders, fourth graders. And I had a slew of them. And Sunday, every Sunday night, I'm sitting here trying to help them and it was a disaster. It was terrible. But I tried to do everything I could to teach them about Jesus. And then I'd have to do this for that church and this for that church. And this. And I said, Lord, I'm doing all this stuff. I mean, I could go, I could go work, you know, at Wendy's and provide for myself. And I'll never forget the Lord spoke to my heart and pressed upon my heart. Son, shut up. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you in ways that money never will. And so I, I, I interned for that church for a year. And I spent a lot of money because I had to do that job. And they didn't do anything. They didn't help me. They didn't give me like a gift card to McDonald's or nothing. And I'll never forget, when I met my wife, I knew what the Lord was talking about. You know what I'm saying? God can pay you and take care of you in ways that the world never will be able to. So I went and served at another church in, in Oxford, outside Oxford. Great, godly church and, and phenomenal church. Similar to the size of this church. And, and so I volunteered there. And they never had an intern before, but they wanted me to come, so I did that. And I'll never forget, when it came time for me to go overseas, that church took up an offering, and I'll never forget it. So fast forward a few years later, I'm serving at this, I'm serving full-time at a church, and I convinced the church leadership, hey, can we pay an intern? Well, intern? We never had an intern before. I said, I know, but why don't you pray about it? Let's pray about it. So we had an intern. Let me tell you a few of those interns, what they ended up doing. Stephen Wright, this morning, he's an international mission board missionary in Thailand. Ashley Jocelyn, she's about to be, she just got married, now she has a baby. She's about to be deployed to northern Africa with the International Mission Board. Benjamin Bickley, he's a church planner in Washington State. Clark Whitney, student pastor, Salem Springs, Arkansas. Scott Lancaster, he's about to become a drone pilot for the United States Air Force, and that's going to be his ministry. 
Well, that's a ministry right there, isn't it? What's the point? We need to invest in people. And I watched church, that church invest in all these people, and then another church invest in all these people. And I, I could go on and on and on. There's 12 interns that we've seen just in little ministry. Now they're going to change in the world in ways that those churches, think about it. Our, if we invest in people, it's going to go. Think about this church. The guy that led worship this morning was raised up from this church. There are many people out in the crowd. Their sons, their nephews, their, their child is going to serve the Lord. It may not be in the ministry, but it's, I mean, they're kingdom-minded disciple walking with the Lord, right? Look at all the people in this room who was raised up and sent out by this church. Think of Robbie Boyd. He just kind of stumbled into First Baptist Church Bay St. Louis. You guys don't know who this man is probably. He is a pastor out west, and the guy has literally, God has used him to impact tens of thousands of lives, and maybe, maybe even more than that. Just a ragtag teenager that stumbled and went on a mission trip through First Baptist Church Bay St. Louis, and it made a huge impact on his life. And many, many, many more that I'm not naming. We're going to invest. We need to invest in people. Someone say, when was the last time our church invested into a young person going to seminary? You look at our church finances, I wonder why it's close. I wonder why God's not pouring out from heaven. I wonder why parts of our building is dilapidated. Why? Because God's not pouring out His blessing. Why? We need to invest in people. We need to strive for excellence in every arena of our church. From the smallest ones to the oldest ones. We need to get out of 1994 and get in 2017. We need to forget what's behind and strive for what's ahead. We need to say, Lord, if you don't show up, we're done. You know, the church at Antioch, I heard a pastor say this one time, and he's right. The church at Antioch, we're not even sure if they made it. We're not sure if they made it in the book of Acts. The church at Antioch. But you know what the church of Antioch did? They gave themselves so much to the mission of God and they were so obedient to go wherever the Lord sent them that we're not even sure that they survived. That's a testimony. Think about it. That you gave yourself, so, gave yourself away so much and were so obedient that you didn't even exist anymore. Now, I'm not saying that's what we need to do. But there should be a pipeline of sending people. We should be planting churches one at a time. Our church. Planting churches. We need to be sending out young people. Left and right. We need to be mobilizing our people. And that's what we're going to do in 2018. We're going forward. we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Verse 10. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Tell you what, our church does that all the time. All the time. You, and people don't know about it. 
Don't people show up at the church office and say, let me tell you what, what this church did for me. or what, Let me tell you about these people in your church. and Let me tell you how they impacted my life. And all the while, well, wow. We didn't even know some of those people were Christians. That's supposed to be a joke. But it's incredible. That's what Christians do. And we should do more. We shouldn't be surprised by this. This is what believers do. They love people. They love, especially those of the household of faith. Look at, go to verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep themselves, keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new cre- creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on let us let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul's writing with large letters, with his own hand. He's being passionate. He's begging them, do not fall into works righteousness. You know, this church, some more history. When Katrina impacted this building, right? It was a long time that it took our church to build back the sanctuary. Why? Because this church and the volunteers through it helped build back a lot of homes all over the bay. Investing in people. That's a testimony. That's a powerful testimony. We've noticed a term, I've noticed a term, Corey's noticed a term, James, our deacons have noticed a term, our people have noticed a term that we, as we go across town and we're going to the grocery store and we strike up conversations and we tell them where we go to church, here's the term, oh, you go to the Baptist church? That's what they call us, by the way, the Baptist church. You go to that Baptist church? Man, hurricane came, they showed up. They were there. They were there. They showed up big time. We kind of like being known as the Baptist church. There's other Baptist churches, and there's other churches, not Baptists, who are doing a whole lot of kingdom work. In the end, it's not going to matter. If you're Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, non-denominational, that's not going to matter. But if we're not careful, because we do what we ought to do, we slip into this temptation for works righteousness. And this morning, if we're not careful, your identity and my identity will start coming from what we do for the Lord instead of who we are in Christ. And it happens. And it can happen on a Sunday morning. Through maybe you volunteering through such and such. You begin to find your identity and your worth in what you do for the Lord. That's not what God had in mind. He wants you to be free. He wants you to serve out of freedom. Amen? 
So don't walk up to anybody and show them all your Sunday school stickers. Number one, they probably don't care. And number two, you're just boasting about yourself. And so Paul would say, boast in the cross. Verse 14, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Christian who receives grace through the Spirit will always bring glory to the Lord. The legalist who practices religion will earn the approval of people. Paul says, boast in the cross. Boast in the cross. You think you're something. When you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. Boast in the cross. Today, especially at Christmas time, we have pretty crosses. My wife, she loves pretty crosses. I've got to be careful what I say. There are some beautiful crosses out there. And there's a lot of crosses, jewelry. And crosses are very symbolic for Americans, for most Americans. But this morning, friend, for the believer, the cross is a reality. It's not symbolic. It's a reality for someone walking in the Spirit. And that cross is the things that they bear, the things that they suffer, the hardship they face because they're walking in the Spirit. This morning, may we glory in the cross over everything else. May we glory in the cross more than our Christmas card. May we glory in the cross more than the Christmas season. May we glory in the cross more than anything in our life. Do your co-workers know about the cross? Friend, have you carried your cross or have you set it aside? Because it's Christmas. Take a load off. Friend, the kingdom marches on. There's a few terms, there's a term that psychologists, they use and they describe people that are entering into a state of depression or a state of suffering. And uh, psychologists talk about that people struggling mightily, they act out defense mechanisms. Y'all do that? Defense mechanisms? Yeah, we do it all the time. And here's a few of them. Listen to this. Denial. Denial. The conscious or subconscious refusal to face the truth. Listen to another self-defense mechanism. Fantasy. Escaping from the real world. Little, uh, a lot of grown men acting like little boys, fighting artificial battles. All the while, the real battle is raging. Emotional insulation, withdrawing to avoid rejection. Regression, reverting to less threatening times. You hear me? Regression. Reverting to less threatening times. That means you've been burned or gone through a hardship, so the, the best way to deal with it is just to regress. Just to try to stay in the most safe 
place possible. Friend, life's too short for that. We need to risk it all for the gospel's sake. Listen to this. Displacement. What does that term mean? It means taking out frustrations on others. Something bad happens in your life. A self-defense mechanism is what? Blaming somebody else. You don't believe that? Every time a tragedy happens in America, what does the news do? They blame somebody, right? It's always somebody's fault. It can never be because there's evil in the world and it's a fallen world. Taking out frustrations on others. see that all the time. Displacement. If, if you're upset with your life, it's somebody else's fault. Projection. Blaming others. Same thing. Blaming other people. Rationalization. Making excuses for poor behavior. Well, you know, I know the Bible says, but this, you know, maybe the Bible didn't know this is how it's going to be in 2017. Or maybe, uh, maybe uh, you know, God's law, you know, He says don't touch these things, but, you know, whatever. I, I know what's best for my life because, you know, me and God got this thing worked out. Rationalization. And friend, what psychologists call defense mechanisms this morning, we're going to call it spiritual strongholds. Spiritual strongholds that the enemy has allowed people to fall into. And we're about to go into a time of invitation. And friend, if that's you, you need to cry for the Lord to break you out of those strongholds in your life. That's what Galatians 6 is all about. There were a people that were taken captive. They were taken captive by the enemy, by false teachers, and by their flesh. And God used Paul to write these, this letter to the churches in Galatia to set them free. And this morning, I believe God's given it to us to set our people free, to set us free. In due season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This morning, do you know Jesus? If you don't, you can receive the Lord this morning. As we go into this Christmas season, I want to challenge you. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss what it's about. Let's pray.